the good thing about having a terrible username is that it's always available. Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for joining us. This time, what it's like being freelance for consultant front-end architect Harry Roberts. It's a huge difference between consultancy and freelance. I think a good consultant should never get hired twice because you should have fixed everything. It means that I've constantly got to find new business. What I've essentially been doing is laying the foundations for this consultancy self-employed lifestyle for seven years by the time I kind of flicked the switch. So going from that of stability and comfort, just an entire life of knowing I'm doing exactly what I want to do, to then step out into this kind of, oh crap, I've got to make it work myself now, it's all on me. All right, so, um, CSS Wizardry. CSS Wizardry, yeah, so <laughs> CSS Wizardry was a name I picked when I was 17 years old because I thought it was just the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and uh, it kind of stuck. So I ended up, yeah, I had to run with it. So my website, my Twitter, everything is CSS Wizardry. When I started working for myself, I sort of just ran with it. Um, it's so, great, though, because it says exactly what you do. Yeah, it, actually, right? Someone emailed me last week, um, and they just, it was a startup in Canada. And they were in a real bind. They need someone, and like this kind of this guy at his wits' ends just googled CSS wizardry, as in like you're just kind of a desperate last ditch call. <laughs> I was going, and he found me and got in touch. And it's like, wow, it's literally never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's fine so long as you never decide to give up doing CSS. Yeah, yeah. I can't really. I've kind of tied myself down, haven't I? Yeah, that career into romantic fiction might have to go on to hold. <laughs> Although one thing I didn't think of at the time, um, Harry the Wizard is... Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a decision I'm living with. <laughs> uh, so you are, um, let me describe this, a consultant front-end architect. Correct. Now, I'm aware that some listening might be thinking, what the hell does that mean? So what the hell does that mean? Uh, so it's... Um, I travel around, I meet companies uh, or I meet developers inside those companies and I teach and train and help those people build UI, user interfaces, um, much more efficiently, much more effectively. So the consultancy aspect is um, I don't actually do the work for them. I don't actually write any code myself anymore. Um, I train other developers how to do it. And the front-end architecture bit is basically... Every bit of a website you see and interact with is UI, user interface. Um, and writing the code for user interface in sort of 2015 is, is getting a lot more complex. So actually, a far more uh, architectural approach to doing that is, is becoming the norm. So yeah, my job is to teach developers how to build websites better. And CSS is part of the code then? Yeah, so CSS is a, a styling language, and that's what I specialize in. So you you mentioned the consultant word there, yeah, uh, and the fact that you don't build stuff, uh, well, as such. So how did you reach that point? Presumably, you started out as the person writing the code. Correct. I started out as a web developer years ago. I mean, when I was fifteen, sixteen, I stumbled into the web by accident. Um, started tinkering with HTML and CSS and building web pages. Found it just fascinating and a kind of like a healthy waste of time at that point. And um, I learned more and more about it, and that became my job full-time. So for several years, I've worked for web design agencies, you know, building sites on behalf of or, or for other clients, writing CSS. Let me think. So I've worked at 
One, two, three, four agencies. I was about to leave one agency. Um, was going to set up on my own, do freelance web development kind of stuff. But an opportunity came up for this developer role at B Skype B. So I was like, yeah, totally going to go for that. It sounds exciting. And whilst I was there, I learned so much more about you know web development at scale, you know, building large scale products and um, and that kind of stuff. So after a few years of doing that, I realized that, yeah, this is, this is exactly what I want to do, large-scale, product-led sort of development for, for big, long-lasting sites. Um, but after three years of that, I realized that you know, the skills I'd gained at Sky and the kind of things I was doing alongside Sky, so while ever I was working uh, for, for BSkyB, building their stuff, I was actually speaking at conferences, getting asked to run workshops, Um so at some point I just decided, yeah, I've kind of got a double life here. I've got my full-time job at Sky doing development stuff for them. Why not make that my job for, for X amount of clients? Why don't I turn it consultancy and, and travel the world doing that? So that's a very brief, in a nutshell, way of how I got there. It's quite a big thing, isn't it, to decide to eventually break free from it all. How, how did those sort of speaking engagements come about? How did you put yourself out there? How did people know to ask you? Um, throughout my entire career, even in full-time employment, I've always been very keen to write articles about you know, things I've learned or techniques I've you know, come up with, um, sharing CSS snippets for free. It's a, you know, it's a very common thing in the web development industry to share things. The open source movement is huge. Uh, so I've been doing that for years all throughout full-time employment. So people were already aware of who I was just by virtue of, of reading my blog. And then one day, um, uh, an amazing conference called Front Trends over in Warsaw in Poland, um, they just dropped me an email saying, look, we read your blog. Do you want to come and speak at a conference? And I was like, wow, geez, literally never spoken anything before. Um, I was the kid who would hate doing presentations in front of class. Um and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, having zero previous experience, this this fantastic conference just gave me a huge opportunity. Um, I sat on that for a week, <laughs> kind of weighing the pros and cons. The pros would be I would speak at a conference and get to travel to Poland. The cons would be you know, I might you know, just completely flake on stage and, and not be able to do it. Um, but I went for it. They kind of put their faith in me, and it's kind of just gone from there, really. I think once you do one talk, if, if people enjoy it or, um, you know, it gets enough traction, gets spoken about enough, more people get in touch. I was 21 at the time. Uh, taking a chance on me, it was just fantastic. That is awesome. It, Espe- yeah, especially it's really nice of them. You could immediately say international speaker. Exactly. So, so there's the speaker side. So the consultancy side, did you sort of prep enough clients to break away, you know, to hand in your, your, your notice at B Sky B and to say, right, here I am, I'm a consultant. How, how did you do it was that? It's a decision that it took a long, long time. Um, I really enjoyed my time at Sky. I was, I was a senior member of staff there, so I had tons of responsibility, which I really, really, really enjoyed. Um, so it was a decision that took me months and months to make. Um, what I'd essentially been doing is laying the foundations for this consultancy self-employed lifestyle for seven years by the time I kind of flipped the switch. So yeah, writing, speaking and stuff, it meant that people were well aware of who I was and I was kind of 
doing all the marketing up front whilst getting paid a full-time salary. And that's a really privileged position to be in. Anyone who I speak to is thinking of going freelance or, or you know, going contract uh, or, or consultancy. I always tell them, just wait as long as you can. If you can write articles while you're getting paid a full-time salary, I mean, not at work. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> do it in an evening. Um, but yeah, I, I made sure I did that for years. And by the time I came to actually, you know, flicking that switch and, and handing my notes in at Sky, I had tens of thousands of people on Twitter who I could just sort of say, hey, look, you can hire me now. And that was just, that was just magical. Being able to do that was fantastic. I mean, six, seven years of prep to get to that point. So yeah, it's one of the biggest sort of key bits of advice I give to people who, who ask me about thinking about doing the same thing is um, sort as much promotional work out as you can before you actually end up leaving. Um, I was also quite fortunate as well that uh, being a senior member of staff at Sky, you have a three-month notice period. So that gave me a quarter of a year to, to promote myself, really, to publicly say that you can hire me in three months' time. Um, so another bit of advice I give to people is, you know, if they're, if they're thinking of going freelance or going self-employed uh, and they're a bit nervous about it, you know, uh, lining clients up, I tell them, look, you might have um, a one-month notice period. There's nothing at all stopping you uh, from giving your company a three-month notice. So giving yourself a long notice period as well is something that I had. Um, meant I could spend uh, a good amount of time queuing work up. Nice. So you built, you basically spent all that time building up your reputation. Yeah. You must have still had nerves as you actually left the God. building for the last time. Yes, yes, usually. I mean, I'd gone from several years of very stable, very, a very privileged full-time employment. I'd never really worked a, a bad job. Every full-time job I've had has been as a web developer. In fact, every job I've had has been something I've wanted to do. Always, always been very, very fortunate. That I've always been in my career. So going from that amount of stability and comfort, just an entire life of knowing that I'm doing exactly what I want to do, to then step out into this kind of, oh crap, I've got to make it work myself now, it's all on me. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, touch wood, everything's worked out really, really well so far, but yeah, you'd never, you'd never not have those nerves, I don't think. You were basically doing this whole content marketing thing about five years before people said the word content marketing, it seems. You were giving away information for free, building up that reputation, um, probably before a lot of other people were. Yeah, I think, you know, I would certainly agree with that. I don't think it was just me. I think, um, I mean, because your kind of video production and, and um, that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you're familiar with the open source community in the web development world. No, not really. Well, no, friend, friends of mine work within it. but So since forever, and this is going back decades, People build stuff and just give it away for free because it, it kind of helps everyone. You know, if I spend three hours working on a little side project, that might save a thousand people a collective, you know, three thousand hours. Um, so everybody wins. So it's just an inherent thing. I think as soon as you start as a web developer, it's kind of expected and understood that yeah, we don't really keep much to ourselves. We share everything. We give things away. So I was kind of doing it without knowing or realizing it was content uh, marketing kind of stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just a thing you do. If you're a developer, you build something, you give it away for free. Um, 
And a lot of the time, the app is a loss leader. So you might give something away for free, then someone might ring you up and say, hey, look, we're using this thing that you gave away, but we need help implementing it. Can we hire you for a week to do that? I was doing it as open source, but it just so happens that it worked out as being like content strategy and, and marketing. Um, so it was a really kind of really nice coincidence almost. <laughs> you you mentioned there about um, you know, that, that that's one way that you find clients. Is there other ways that people come to you as well? Because I noticed on your, your website and you said earlier on when you went freelance, you said out on Twitter, hire me, I'm ready to be hired. Uh, I love the fact on your site, it's very much hire me, hire me, hire me. You know, there's no bones about it. I'm available. Yep. It's, um, it is kind of, I do find it quite amusing looking at my own site because it's, it's, it's just shameless, isn't it? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so when I first started working with myself, I did kind of make a bit of a deal of it. I was like, hey, look, I'm leaving Sky. This is why I'm available for hire. I just want to do this, this, and this. I just want to do cool stuff, get in touch. And I did make a bit of um I won't say a song and dance about it, but I did make a deal of it. Cause, I mean, it was a huge deal for me, and it was a massive step in my career. So I, I made a, a big deal of it at the time, but um I don't regret I, I never actually turn to Twitter now for you know, new work. I don't need to do that. Um, but if you hit my site, it's all geared towards, yep, yeah, you've read this article, now come and hire me. Or, you know, testimonials everywhere. And everything's pushing you towards this idea of, look, I'm giving all this stuff away for free, just so you know, I'm actually for hire as well. So if you want some help with the implementation or the specific details, and it's, it's really working. It's working quite well. Yeah. If, if, if you've not seen Harry's site, it, go take a look at cssswizardry.com. There'll be a link in the show notes, of course, but it doesn't just say hire me. It says hire me either in bright pink writing or yeah. a bright pink button going, Oi, you're still here and I'm still waiting. Yeah. I have to say, it does seem real effective. If you email me from my website, if you click any of the links that say hire me, it will fire me an email where the subject line is let's work together. And I've got to say about 90, 95% of the emails I get have that pre-populated subject line. So I can tell <laughs> that the site's really, really working. But that yeah, is, it, is, it, is, it is quite shameless. It's really interesting. Really interesting. So as a consultant, you you go into companies and you you sort of lead them like some sort of uh, you know heroic figure into making what they've got better, and then you leave again? Uh, pretty much, pretty much. Um, so does that mean, though, that you then can't go back? And I'm just thinking that often with freelancers, we think about building up a client that we go back to time and time again. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you go to clients and you do uh, workshops regularly with them, but I'm guessing if it's going in and sorting out their website, once it's done, it's done. Yes, yeah, spot on, totally correct. Um one thing I really struggle with um, is explaining to people that I am a consultant and not a freelancer. And it always makes me sound really sort of uh, pedantic. Um, but you're totally right. Yeah, you'd go to a freelancer and you might get them in. You might have, a, I know a freelancer who works for a company three days a week and he has done since forever. But he's a freelancer because he's still got other clients, but he gets recurring work. Um, the way I liken it, I, I had this, I used this metaphor or this analogy recently. Um, you'd be kind of annoyed if you had to ring pest control twice. If you, had, if, you know, if, if you were like, yeah, you came and like you said you'd got rid of the rats, but they're back. That's kind of what it's like being a consultant. 
a good consultant should never get hired twice because you should have fixed everything. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge difference, um, between consultancy and freelance. I think, uh, freelance, you, you kind of do the work and you, um, you know, get things done for the company. Whereas as a consultant, I go in, I tell the company how to get things done. It's the whole, um, you know, give a man a fish metaphor. Um, but that does mean that, yeah, I, I, I've never worked with the same client twice it means that I've constantly got to find new business, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does, it does make things a little more, um, intense. You know, you can't fall back on a six week contract or a six month contract. Even, um, you can't keep a client sweet and then, you know, they'll keep coming back to you. Um, I've worked with some really amazing, fantastic people and I kind of had to just accept that I'll never get to work with them again because, yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't need to. There is a tragic film in the making here. I can fit like the, the, the you know, like the littlest hobo. I'm, I'm feeling for you. Um, how does it work with with your pricing? And you, you, you know, you don't have to go into great details of your secrets. But you know, freelancers can look around at each other for the most part and say, "Oh, well, that's worth that." You know this is what I can charge because that's the going rate for this job. But you're up on high. You're coming in and saying, well, I'm bringing this amount of value to you. Is that how you do it? Like I'm, I'm worth this to you? Uh, pretty much um, because I don't do um, long stints of work. I think the longest ever engagement I did was 21 days. Um, everything else is, well, most commonly it's one day. I do single days of work doing workshops and training. The mean, the mean kind of average would be, yeah, maybe two, three day engagements. So it's ineffective to have a day rate for that. You know, to, to have a day rate for that kind of work doesn't really, I'm not selling time because I'm not doing the actual work, the implementation. Um, it's inappropriate to charge a day rate, you know, to charge based on time. Mm. So I use kind of a, a value based pricing strategy. Um, so my, my workshop day rate is, is, is high because I'm sitting with a group of people and giving them all of my intellectual property and then making them basically clones of me. So because I'm making myself essentially redundant with each client I visit and also giving each developer in that room my intellectual property, um, yeah, my, my, my prices are, they reflect that, let's say. And do you ever have to explain that? To, to people or do they just go oh right okay you cost that that's fine um, most clients are totally fine with it which either leads me to believe that they understand what they're paying for or I should hike my prices up even further I was going to say isn't that um, <laughs> the problem is well so the thing is I would get paid to do my dream job so I've, if I could put my prices up that's nice but I would literally put putting them up for the sake of it or putting them up because I know I can which to me feels you know, kind of immoral. It's kind of saying to a client, oh, just because I can get you to pay more, I will make you pay more. Um, which is probably me being a bit of a mug, but I'm currently, I, my, my rates are high. Um, the kind of clients I work with mean that it's that's fine. Um, you know, so I've worked with you know, people like Google or the BBC or the NHS. Um, you know, they're used to spending millions and millions on IT contractors. And then I guess, obviously, from that, you then, you then get to do your speaking. You're, uh, you're off to Australia this year, aren't you, to do uh, one, for example? Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking's 
quite different in our industry. So, you know, I said about the open source movement and we just like giving things away for free. So about eight out of 10 talks um, a speaker will do, um, they won't get paid for. Um, what happens is someone will get in touch and they'll say, right, we're going to pay for your flights and your hotel. Um, basically, we'll cover your expenses if you come and do a 45-minute talk for us. Makes an interesting thing when you're self-employed. So when I was working for Sky, it was basically free holiday. Let's do it. Right, I'm getting a fixed income. I'll book a few days off work, go to Poland, go to Amsterdam, uh, you know, Berlin, wherever I was, and I'd, I'd get paid for that. Uh, sorry, I'd get yeah, I'd get paid a full time salary by Sky, and then I just do the talk as like a vacation thing. Mm. Um, but now what happens is, um, like most often, what will happen is someone will say, "Look, if we fly you out to here, can you come and do a talk? And we won't pay you because we don't have a budget for that, but we'll cover your expenses." So now what I've got to do is work out the opportunity cost. So basically, okay, if it takes a week out of my schedule, that's a week's client work I can't do. But I've never been to Melbourne before, so it'd be nice to have a trip there. Um, I really like traveling um, and getting you know, flights and hotels paid for is is perfect for someone who enjoys traveling. There is that value, of course, in that it it opens you up to a whole new load of developers who will then, or whoever it might be, who will then talk to their boss, and then before you know it, you're you're working at that company. And actually, stuff, yeah, you totally right. Completely didn't even think of that. That's one of the main ways I get new business. <laughs> um, yeah, totally should have mentioned that. It's I've worked for an amazing company out in uh, Zwolle, which is a beautiful, beautiful old city in uh, in the Netherlands. That was because someone was at a conference I was speaking at in, in Amsterdam. Um, happens all the time. People see me at conferences and be like, well, cool, well, that guy knows this about this thing. We're going through that change ourselves. Let's get him in. So, yeah, it's kind of um, an opportunity cost, but a marketing opportunity as well. There's one phrase that I picked up on from your website. Because we often talk about creative processes and stuff like that, uh, I liked this, and it was in bold. It said, it's better to have good enough live now rather than having perfect live in six months' time. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's something that a lot of people could draw from, whatever they might be doing. Yeah, so one of the things working at Sky taught me is the importance of delivering something that works immediately rather than something that's you know sitting on something for months on end, polishing it, perfecting it. And then someone's already beaten you to, you know, beating you to getting something live anyway. So, um, yeah, working on products, um, working agile, um, it's a thing I, I picked up and I've really, really, really kept on board. Um, pragmatism, you know, the idea of providing business value quickly, I think it's really important. And like you said, it transfers to all sorts. My girlfriend's opening a gigantic design store up here in Newcastle. And it's a huge, huge project. And me and her are sort of going through this, this process of making everything as pragmatic and you know, get the cheapest thing done today and then spend the next six weeks perfecting it rather than spending six weeks perfecting it and then putting it out there. Nice, yeah. Just getting something out there first, you know, rough and ready. Because you can always make something perfect or you can go toward perfection. Iteratively, you can put something crude uh, out there now and perfect it in the open. With my site, I keep tweaking it. If I'd have if I'd have waited to try and work out the perfect site and then put it live, it would have been about a year late. Now, we always uh, try to finish on three facts. If you can tell me three facts about yourself, 
Uh, two are true, one are a lie. I try and figure out the lie. Cool. Okay, number one, uh, I never went to pick up my A-level results. Don't know what I got in my exams. <laughs> number two, I can speak semi, semi-fluently three different languages. And number three, I have a scar on my right eye, which was caused by a toilet seat. <laughs> so you never picked up your A-level results. I've got no idea what I got on my A-levels. You've got a, a toilet seat scar. Yep. And you're semi-fluent in three... What are the three languages? Uh, Italian and French, because they're very, very similar. And I studied German for a few years. Oh. Um, now, well, you've said you like traveling, uh, you're a bright chap, surely the, uh, the languages one is true. Why wouldn't anybody pick up their, a- so you don't know what you got in your A-levels? No idea. Did you, did you go to university? Uh, I didn't. So you wouldn't have ever needed them. Okay, but I surely can... if you studied for two years, why didn't you pick them up? Were you unconscious on a bathroom floor? <laughs> From a toilet seat injury. Um, so the toilet seat one you could have said because of Harry Potter that you alluded to earlier. Yeah, the scar, yeah. Um, a literally crap version of his scar. <laughs> what did you... Um, okay, no, you, you picked up your A-level results. Why wouldn't anybody pick up their A-level results? So the A-levels is the lie. Cool, uh, incorrect. Oh, what? The lie is the, the three languages. I, typical Englishman, can only speak English. <laughs> Do you have a story behind the other two? Yeah, d- totally. <laughs> I, I never went to get my A-level results. I just, um, I got very disillusioned with higher education. I say higher education. I went to sixth form college. Yeah. And um, it was during my time at sixth form that I realised that, yeah, I definitely want to be a web developer. Uh, so I actually started having clients. I was doing client work whilst I was sort of 16, 17 years old. And my teachers would give me a lot of grief for this, which, you know, it's, it's their job to make sure I'm in school, right? But they were like, yeah, you, you know, we're not happy. You'll never you'll never become a designer if you don't do your exams. And I was like, you literally don't get that. I am doing design work right now, and that's why I'm not turning up for class. So anyway, I got my... When I was 17, I went for a job interview at a, an amazing company in Leeds called Sense Internet, and they offered me the job right there and then. I was 17 years old. I was like, geez, wow, yes, please. And they said, well, you can start uh, on the 14th of July, just after you've left after you've left sick form, just come straight to work if you want. Anyway, so 14th of July comes around. I, I just turned 18 10 days before, and I was like, oh, brilliant, right, best job ever. Can't believe my luck. Then um, results day was announced. It was going to be sometime in August. Uh, and like on a Wednesday, I could go back into my sick form, pick up my A-level results. And I was like, there isn't, I didn't need these A-levels, right? No one's ever asked me about my qualifications. I'm not going to university, and there is no way on earth I'm taking a day off of my dream job to go and pick these up. I just, I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss out on a day's holiday and miss out on this amazing job to go and pick up these exam results. So I, so I just never did. I <laughs> just, just never went to go and get them. Tell me they posted them to you. I don't think so. You- you still don't know what you got. No, no. I mean, if anyone asks me what I got, I, I, if I needed to know, I'd go and try and find out. But yeah, no clue. Amazing. And and the toilet seat? Oh, so I've got a history of because I'm I'm six foot four and I've always been quite gangly and. So you should be smashing your your head on a door. Yeah, not yeah, a maybe a door seat. frame rather than. 
Well, I, I just growing up, I was always really badly coordinated. Um, but even even as a toddler, like running around, I know toddlers fall over a lot anyway. But I was particularly accident prone. And when I was eighteen months old, um, just dying for a wee, just absolutely just I, I just, just needed a wee real bad. So I just started sprinting towards the bathroom, and my mum and dad had a weird bathroom off the side of the kitchen, which was down three steps. And I tripped on the top step and just flew straight through the air and head first, dunk, head straight off the toilet seat. Um, and it bled profuse. Oh and, oh, and the worst thing is my dad's a bit of a practical joker, so um, when my mum and dad took me to the hospital, my dad said to me, as a joke, he said, tell the nurse your mum did it. And I did. <laughs> I did. And that got my mum into some trouble. And we had to explain that, no, I was an impressionable child and my dad was playing a joke. Um, before we let you go, is there any blogs or podcasts or book that you might want to recommend? I think in terms of books and, and publications and blogs, um, anything by a list apart and a book apart. There are sort of franchise um, by a New York-based gentleman called Jeffrey Zeldman, and he runs this very, very highly regarded um, blog and short book uh, publishers. They're like tiny, really skinny, thin, accessible, digestible books on web development. Kind of makes it really approachable and really nice and easy to get into. So if anyone listening fancies getting some really good quality introductory stuff on, on web development, then yeah, um, the a book and a list apart uh, franchise is really good. I'll send you some links to those. Cool, yeah. We'll put them on the show notes. Don't forget, if you want to see those, you go to beingfreelance.com. Uh, also links, of course, to the iTunes and the Stitcher so that you can share it, please, with uh, with other freelancers and leave a review. Go on, be a love. Uh, if people want to find you online, where can they? Mainly on Twitter. Um, so it's CSS Wizardry uh, on Twitter. In fact, any, any service, Facebook, Twitter, GitHub, it's just CSS Wizardry. The good thing about having a terrible username is that uh, it's always available. <laughs> and of course, if you go to his site, cssWizardry.com, you'll find that he is for hire, uh, lest we forget. I think I mentioned that, don't I? Thanks so much for your time and for chatting <laughs> about being freelance. Thank you for your time. It's been really good.